This is an ABC podcast. Oh, it was a long drive all the way to the big smoke. But it was worth every single second because when we arrived at Disney on Ice in 1994, I got to sit front and centre and watch them skate onto the ice with their big, wobbly heads. Oh, I don't want to say it was the greatest night of my life because it wasn't. It was actually full of heartache. I'd won tickets to Disney on Ice and they'd promised me the Herald Sun, their old name and chain the newspaper. The competition said if you colour this in and win our tickets, you will get to skate out onto the ice with Mickey and the cast. Skate out onto the ice. Their words, not mine. I turn up, the entire show, my sister's going, when are you going to skate out? I was like, I don't know. They haven't trained me. They haven't given me any skates. And it slowly dawned on me there would be no skating onto the ice. All they did at the end was say, okay, and everyone who won tickets, please stand up. And we got to go and high-five Mickey as he skated around. That was it. I did not skate onto the ice, but it was still a beautiful night. It was a night that my mum took me to. And we all have those nights, don't we? Those nights or occasions as a child that stay with us. The memories linger long after the event has passed. What did you do with your parents when you were a kid that you still remember, that you still reflect on? That's something you can chew over as you munch on today's snack pack. Sammy J here with you. Pleasure to have your company. And pleasure to feel some vicarious pride because a local hero has gone done made good in Hollywood. The Oscars were in the news for all the wrong reasons this week, but one right reason was that Victorian cinematographer Greg Fraser won an Oscar for his work on June. We'll be chatting to Greg later in the podcast. We'll also be lining up at the buffet to stack our plates full of food from the salad bar at Sizzler. What does the word Sizzler mean to you? Well, if you were born any time, it should mean everything to you because it was a great institution and we'll be holding it up to the light and celebrating that recently deceased bastion of good health and flavour, paying tribute to it, as only the snack pack can. But to kick us off, let's reach into the packet and pull out a big, delicious nugget. Because I don't know how much you know about me, but I do love on my breakfast radio show in Melbourne to talk to guests about their future selves and then six months or so later get them back and compare their old self to their present self just to see where they're at. And Celia Pacola joined me, wonderful comedian, actor, writer, to do just that. Celia Pacola, what a pleasure to have you here back on the Snack Pack. We're going to get pretty personal today. Are you ready to confront yourself from August last year? Oh, gosh. Who I don't think I recognise myself, Sammy. Mm. Let's do it. Look into the mirror, Celia. This is how you answered <laughs> when I asked you how you felt about your glorious creation alongside Luke McGregor, Rosehaven, coming to an end. Uh, I'm very sad because it's been the last intensely seven years-ish of my life. But every time I get sad, I remind myself that this is the best case scenario. It was the best case scenario because you went out on a high. Does that now feel like a decade ago, Celia, Rosehaven finishing up? It really does. And can I say, what a mistake. Should never have given it up. Should have held on to it. Should have gripped it with a cold, dead claws. Just um, milked it until it was just a shell of itself. No, I mean, no, it's still, even though it feels like a decade ago, it's still at the point where Luke and I will still occasionally have people 
come up to us and say, um, you know, nice things about the show, but already it does feel very much in the past. People are like, oh, I used to watch it with one. I'm like, oh. So, so I, I'm very sad. I'm counting the days until until it um, doesn't get brought up ever again. But I still still think it was probably the right decision for us. Because, do you want an update on Korea? Yeah. Well, well before um, you give me an update, oh, yeah. can I tell you what you were thinking you were going to head towards? Oh, Yeah. Because I asked you what was next, Celia, and this is what, this is what okay. August 2021 Celia had to say about this. <laughs> what I've always wanted to do is some kind of, and you might, you might think that I'm not being serious, is a, is a drama, Sammy J. I love me a British female-led gritty crime drama. A British female-led gritty crime drama, Celia. Oh, no, I haven't. I still want to do that, but I haven't done that. But I'm now a lawyer. I'm not. I'm absolutely not. <laughs> I'm a criminologist. No, I'm doing. I'm doing. I'm doing exactly the same things. I'm mainly unemployed, but mm-hmm. generally speaking, still playing in the comedy space. Um, but no, no one has cast well, me yet. I think I know why because you possibly didn't take your own advice when I asked you what steps you were going to take before our next chat, Celia. This is what you had to say. I'm just going to be really dramatic in my real life and hope someone notices. I'm just going to be doing, doing, just getting into fights on the street and hope someone goes, you, I need you in my show. Not enough fights on the street, Celia. That's your problem. Walked into police stations and been like trying to solve crimes and be like, I can solve this. This is a case for me. But you know what, Celia? That's okay because then halfway through our chat back in August, you dropped a bit of a bomb. You had a reveal for us and it was quite the personal revelation. It was quite dramatic. This is what you had to tell us. Eight-ish weeks ago, I have I have met a gentleman, and I am very much in love, and it's very very exciting. Small catch. Wait for it. Haven't technically met him because he lives in Sydney. I'm hoping to have met him, and I'm hoping that he will be next to me when you call me. Celia Pacola, this is uh, I ask with my heart in my mouth and your heart in my hand, as all the listeners have been waiting since August last year to find out where this went. You were very much in love, as you said. Did you get to meet that person and were they uh, an artificially intelligent robot trying to scam Bitcoin out of you? He, he is not. I met him in the real life um, and then he uh, moved to Melbourne and into my house with me and now we are having a baby. <laughs> and, and perhaps he would like to say good morning to the listeners of ABC Melbourne. Would you like to say hello, sweetheart? Absolutely not. Oh, he's actually next to you as I'm talking to you. This is the highlight of my radio career. And, you know, your life as well. Do you know what? It turns out I have been living my life quite dramatically. I mean, if that isn't a BBC drama, I don't know what is. You nailed it. not having met. Celia, there's too many questions and not enough time, but I have to ask, what was the first face-to-face meeting like? Where did it take place? Oh, it was very dramatic. It was in Sydney, so it was when the border was still up. So mm-hmm. I went there not knowing when I was going to come home. So I got on the flight, and I remember telling the airline hostess because I was—I thought it was—I was so excited, and I, she's like, "Oh, you're coming home?" And I was like, "Nope." I'm like, "I'm going to meet my boyfriend, who I haven't met yet, who I'm in love with." And thinking she would be really excited, instead she looked at me like she was the last person who was going to see me alive. <laughs> <laughs> Because well, it was crazy, but, right? But, but we met on a street, so I didn't know he was in an Airbnb mm-hmm. that I booked. I was like, because that was the one thing I did. I was like, I'm going to have my own place. Mm-hmm. And I said, I want, I want to get out of the taxi, and I'm going to text you when I'm ready for you to come outside because 
this is weird and it was nighttime and I didn't know which direction he was coming from because I didn't know where the house was. Mm-hmm. So I was literally standing under a street light and um, I saw him first because he didn't know where I was either. And uh, then I can't remember. So he came over and then pregnant. <laughs> Not right then. Not interested in pregnant, but... This is just, yeah. it, this is the greatest story of all time ever. The Snack Pack. Wendy, what did you go to as a kid that left a mark? It, Mum and Dad used to take us up to Myrtleford with my sister when we were primary age. And my uncle was a rabbiter, so we'd go trapping and shooting. And we'd go out and Mum would, um, she'd nag Dad and my uncle and say, don't let the girls touch the guns, don't let the girls touch the guns and dad would agree and round the corner he would stop hand us a rifle each and say load them up girls now i gotta confess i haven't yet watched the winner of the best movie oscar but that's all right i haven't watched pretty much any of the winners at the oscars because life kids podcast recording i just don't have time but were i to watch one the movie I would choose would be June because we have a local link that's right from the suburbs of Melbourne, Croydon specifically. It's the cinematographer himself, Greg Fraser, who joins us all the way from Hollywood. Greg, congratulations. Oh, mate, thank you. Very, very, very proud, I must say. And, uh, yeah, glad that I can be bringing it home for the eastern suburbs. In your, eastern suburbs. In your acceptance speech, uh, you thanked your wife and, and your kids for, quote, allowing a middle-aged man to go and play with his friends in the sand dunes for six months. Uh, did you have to ask permission or did you just seek forgiveness after disappearing into the No, dunes? no, I always ask always ask permission, mate. I'm not that silly. It's not it's the regular rules don't apply when you're married, as you know, you've gotta make sure everyone's on board with the plan. <laughs> Otherwise, uh, yeah, you don't know what you're coming home to after six months. What were you what did you think of your chances heading into the ceremony yesterday? I mean, listen, one of the things that it is a precursor to the Oscars is the awards that lead up to the Oscars. And there are a lot of critics awards and there's BAFTAs and there's guild awards. And I don't know, I don't actually understand the, the, the machine or the game that gets played, you know, because I try and stay well out of it. But it seemed June seemed to be um, a pretty popular film in the crafts. You know, it seemed to be winning quite a few of the design awards and the um, cinematography awards and, you know, and so it was kind of up there. It was in with a pretty good chance. Um, but, you know, the, 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 the best part for me was that the, the film that I was com- well competing against, I hate using that term when it comes to filmmaking because filmmaking is not like football. You know, you don't compete against <laughs> other teams. Um, but the, the film that, was, that I was competing against for cinematography or was, you know, my main competition, if you will, was uh, Power of the Dog, which, you mm-hmm. know, uh, directed by Jane Campion, who I did a her last film, Bright Star, in London, and Ari Wegner, who you know I know really well. She she worked with me on a, a film called Last Ride, like twelve, thirteen years ago. So it was really fantastic because she was winning some, I was winning some, and the reality was it didn't matter if I won or she won. I was going to be wow. like high fiving the room. Yeah, for, except if she won that. I was going to be pumped. That is lovely of you to say, and I know it's sincere, but Greg, the thing is that, that uh, if she'd won, you wouldn't have been able to bring this home for Eastern Melbourne. Clearly that was why you did no, this. No, I, I was doing it specifically for the Eastern Suburbs, for the uh, Lilydale line of the, um, <laughs> uh, of the 
<laughs> the train line, no. Brilliant. I mean, listen, it, it, it was great. Your, your work has now been rightly uh, recognised with this award for Best Cinematography of June. Greg, of course, that's what we should be talking about. The world is talking about a different incident. Just finally, uh, was it strange being there observing that particular slap on that particular day? Can I tell you how I experienced it? Mm. Um, this is a little bit anticlimactic yeah. and definitely not one that's going to make the, the front page of the Herald Sun tomorrow. So my wife and I, I, li- I, I just I'd won the award. You know, and, and there's a whole heap of press that needs to be done when you've won an award. You've got to go out the back and ask questions. And and so I was out in the foyer having a drink, you know, with the friends and my wife. And and we walked back in. And, and they don't let you in during the, the presentation. You have to stand in the corridor. So you might be standing out there with, you know, with Kristen Stewart or Anthony Hopkins or, you know, your, your friends or your colleagues. So they won't let you in. It doesn't matter who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm standing there and there's a TV and we're watching the TV. And Chris Rock's up there. And, you know, Will Smith goes up and gives him the best stage slap that I've ever seen. As in, I, I thought, we, there was no sound, so I couldn't tell what was going on. And I thought that was the best stage slap. You know, in filmmaking, you normally really try and shoot yeah. these fight scenes so that it looks like they make contact. Real drama school st- style performance. I was amazed. I was like, oh, my God, they've, they've, they've really nailed this stunt. Like, they've nailed it. Um, and then it looked like a bit, so I got back into the room on the next commercial break and everyone went, oh, the tone had changed completely. Everyone went, oh, how was that? And I went, how was what? And I didn't see that. I was like, yeah, it was great. It was a comedy moment. And they went, oh, no, it wasn't. That was not a comedy moment. So you were backstage watching that happen and like the whole world, you realised, hang on, this was, not, uh, this was not a joke, this was not a stage thing. It was a, a real act. When I, when I got on there, yeah, but we hadn't seen the, the context or anything until much later, so... Greg, as an award winner, it must be slightly just off that this is the thing that has taken over the whole ceremony. It doesn't make me feel very happy. Let me let me put it that way. Yep. It doesn't make me feel proud uh, of the evening. You know that clearly there was things that were not uh, um, pride worthy. You know, and people behaved in a certain way. So no, exactly. It doesn't. It's a shame that overshadowed the. The, the fantastic work of, of my colleagues. Well, Greg, and the fantastic work of you, because you should be proud of this achievement, and that's what it's all about. What does this mean for you professionally now? The, the world is effectively at, at your doorstep now as far as your work as a cinematographer goes. Does this open even more doors for you? Listen, I don't think so. I mean, it, it's, it's a... It's a it, it, my, my job as a cinematographer is such that I sort of pivot and turn and... Winning an Oscar is is good for notoriety and celebrity, but celebrity doesn't help my job. You got to understand that. If I was an actor, uh, it possibly would help my job. You know, if I was a director, it possibly might help my job. But as a cinematographer, the the, the directors that I want to work with already hopefully know my work. Do you know what I mean? Because hopefully yeah. I've either worked with them before or, or I've shot films that they've seen. So winning an Oscar and standing in front of I don't even care to think how many people millions um don't doesn't really help that side of things um i guess it helps the brag factor you know it helps my mum well, in her in her uh in her with her friends damn straight with so, a yeah. lot of listeners in croydon who are going nuts right now i, d- I, d- I don't want to correct you uh, uh greg fraser but you said pivot and turn i think as a cinematographer you mean pan and tilt don't you uh, what did you go to as a kid what do you remember being taken to uh, I have this memory burned into my brain of my parents taking me and my two sisters to country music festivals. Mm. And being kids, we were a bit bored by the music, but 
I used to amuse myself by making daisy chains out of beer tabs given to me by bikies. So that seemed to be who was at country music festivals in the really late 70s, early 80s. Like as in the ring pulls off the, off the cans? As they did, yes. I started out picking them up off the ground and making my own daisy chains and then I realised if I went up and asked the bikies directly... They were more than happy to pull them off beer cans and give them to me. Sally, at a music festival, you could have then made a killing if you started selling them for 20 bucks. I could have, absolutely. The Snack Pack. Ah, you know, as a parent now, I'd struggle to get the kids out of the house for anything. I would rather just veg out on the couch. But when you do, there's a chance that you're making a memory that'll last a lifetime. What do you remember from when you were a kid? I remember lining up at Sizzler. Because fast food outlets come and go, but one restaurant weighs heavily in the minds of so many of us in Australia. I have very fond memories of so much meat and so much free cheese toast and so many plates of salad from the salad bar. Rebecca Shaw co-hosts the podcast Bring a Plate with Peter Taggart. And Rebecca recently wrote a piece recalling the fond times she had at Sizzler and what it means to her. Rebecca... What do the words salad bar mean to you? It's it's to me it's the um it's the new salad door, the most beautiful phrase in English <laughs> language. Um <laughs> because it, it just evokes um it just evokes uh, uh indulgence and possibility and um uh, like the the going to Sizzler as a kid, as a you know, a poor kid in the country, it was just being able to go there and have this pantheon of glory and this cornucopia available to you, um, it just it it's everything to me. Where did you Where did you grow up, Beck? <laughs> um, I grew up in Toowoomba in regional Queensland, uh, where Sizzler was the fancy rest or the restaurant. It was always packed. Car park was always full. You had to line up to get in, often for like forty five minutes, um, as if it was some like a exciting nightclub or an art <laughs> exhibition, but it was Sizzler um, Sorgasbord. Okay, there are going to be children being born right now as we speak who will never know a world with Sizzler in it. How, how do you best describe the experience to them if, if you're trying to explain the level of excitement as you walked in and finally got through the 45-minute wait and took your seat? Oh, gosh. It's hard to explain because because now when I think about it, it is everything that we aren't allowed to do now and it's and it's and it's things that the kids of today will never experience which is like the the weight lining up with you know your fellow bogan hungry bogans who skip breakfast so they can eat more <laughs> and going in and there's just trays and trays of you know okay food but there's so much of it and so much variety and everyone's touching it and everyone's just like yelling across the room and there's little droplets going everywhere um which is gross but also i'm now like what what a beautiful thing we had (laughs) and that kids of today will no longer just like carefree go and be in this environment and um, what what about how gross it is they will also never experience that that joyful addition. If I'm not mistaken from memory, it was the first thing placed down on the table, which was the cheese toast. Yes. Take exactly. us through a journey. Well, describe was- describe what that is like, Beck. <laughs> well, for me, also that the cheese toast. 
So you would get to Sizzler and you would sit down and everyone knew that what was coming next was the free cheese toast, <laughs> which to me was because I'd watched American movies where they have like a bread course mm. and they, they always had like bread sticks or something. So to me, it was like very glamorous that you would go to a restaurant and have a free bread course and it was this delicious one side wasn't toasted it was it was just like fresh and the other side had like this glistening parmesan cheese crunch um mm. and and that's what you would use to line your stomach before <laughs> what was about to come and the theory is there is a theory that it was to fill you up a little bit so you didn't eat as much of the salad bar that's the um yes. the urban legend well i mean it, but i'm not sure yeah it sounds legit Probably to me <laughs> yeah the snack pack ah <sighs> Gee, I'm hungry. Don't know about you. Fair bit of food talk just then. And though this is billed as a snack pack, I'm going to be honest, none of it goes in your tummy. It all goes in your ear holes. So it's time for me to release you into your day to devour whatever you wish in amongst the eating. Don't forget to rate this podcast. Don't forget to tell your friends about it. And don't forget to have a wonderful week ahead. Big thanks to Ross Kavanagh, my sound wizard, for pushing the buttons and stitching this together, and my beautiful breakfast radio crew. You can hear us all every morning on ABC Radio Melbourne for breakfast or via the ABC Listen app. Have a good one. Bye-bye.